0: Join us now on The Collector Show with Harold Nichol.
1: Hello and welcome to another week's worth of The Collector Show. I'm Harold Nichol. Thank you for joining us. Coming up in the interview segment of our show, a look at mustard. Collecting mustard and where you can go and learn all about collecting mustard, and even see what is likely the biggest mustard collection anywhere. And then in the found collectible segment of the week, not just a segment, but a preview of what we're going to hopefully be doing next week with our good friend Heather Gallegos. Stay tuned for that. And of course, here at the top of the show, a look at the news. News from the world of collecting, and there's a man in Metairie, Louisiana who collects tools And not just any kind of tools, but he collects uh, hand tools that were used for woodworking back in the early part of the 20th century, because before electricity, all woodworking was done by hand. And a well-designed tool that could make the job easier was highly prized. A lot of these implements had to be made by the user himself, and the ones that lasted or were particularly effective and efficient were passed down generation to generation. The hand plane which is a big kind of a blade with a handle on it, was introduced about a thousand years ago, is a basic carpentry tool that makes it possible to flatten, smooth, or reduce the thickness of lumber. And I can remember seeing uh, doors planed when I was a kid growing up. Planes were improved in the mid-1800s when a guy named Leonard Bailey of the Stanley Rule and Level Company began producing cast iron planes. And although largely replaced by electric tools after the Second World War, hand planes were still used by purists. Well, that's um, where Warren George of Metairie, Louisiana, comes in, because he said he was probably eight or nine when he bought his first tool, which was a small metal square, and he's been interested in tools ever since. I didn't intend to become a collector. He just did. But after he retired from plumbing, after 30 years of that, he began spending a lot more time in his backyard workshop where he builds, restores, and refinishes furniture. So that is how he evolved from plumber to furniture restorer to tool collector. Now, like in other categories of collecting, tool collectors can either be generalists who collect all kinds of tools or has specific focus, and, um... The focus of this gentleman, who lives in Louisiana, is on the plane. It's used for general woodworking, and um, some of these planes that uh, are about 100 years old are worth up to $1,500. So, um, another area of collecting discovered in a popular newspaper, this is uh, from out of New Orleans, plane collecting, and not airplanes, wood planes. Now, on to one of the biggest collections I think I've ever seen. It's uh, license plates. This man lives in Mississippi, and you'd never know it to drive past his home that was built in uh, 1820, but inside his cellar is the biggest collection of license plates anywhere. This man's name is... uh, Goodness, where is his name? Conrad Hewson. And that is, uh, his secret passion is collecting license plates. And he has been all over the country collecting at least one license plate from every single year that a state has issued them. And some of his plates, one from Mississippi, is worth $13,000. As his collection is one of the best anywhere, if not the best, he is a member of the Automobile License Plate Collectors Association Hall of Fame. He was inducted in the year two thousand five. And the group of people who collects license plates says of this gentleman the definition of an ALPCA Hall of Famer is one who unselfishly gives his time, energy, and knowledge to others in advance sorry, in advancing the hobby without seeking praise or reward. Conrad Hewson is the epitome of of that definition. Now he's 65 years old and he's been collecting license plates since he was 8 and he doesn't just nail them up you know to the side of the garage he has catalogs of his plates he has them uh, filed in big uh, boxes in his cellar and he's only lacking one license plate to complete his collection and it's one from Alaska Now, his job before he retired was he was a bank inspector, and so he approaches cataloging his license plates the same way he approached banking. Now, um, I mentioned this Mississippi license plate. He was offered $25,000 for it, and he turned it down. That is a devoted collector. And the epitome, in my opinion, I don't have a Hall of Fame I can put him in, but of somebody who collects just for the sheer joy of collecting and completing a set. and We've talked about people who complete sets of stamps. He lacks this one plate from the state of Alaska from 1959. There's only a couple of them anywhere, uh, but he is hot on the trails of it. And if we find out when he finds it, we'll let you know here on The Collector's Show. Web Talk Radio is your home for The Collector Show. Stay tuned for the world of mustard and mustard collecting. Coming up next... I'm Harold Nichol. It's the interview segment of The Collector's Show, and this week we're going to be talking with Barry Levinson, the curator of the Mount Orob Mustard Museum, which is located in Mount Orob, Wisconsin. And Barry, welcome to The Collector's Show.
0: Thank you so much. Let's, you are a, a mustard lover, right? Oh, absolutely. Okay, but then we uh, can continue. Oh, good.
1: Probably not the mustard lover that you are. Um,
0: well, I, I, I can't expect that.
1: <laughs> well, I don't think anybody is, but let's talk first of all about your interest in collecting all things mustard. How did you get started?
0: Well, I've always loved mustard, but I never had this insane... Uh, obsession with it Mm -hmm. until uh, October 28, 1986 the morning after my beloved Red Sox lost the World Series to the Mets Uh and I I was living out here in Wisconsin uh, practicing law and I remember how depressed I was and and how I couldn't sleep so I figured I should go walk well it was crummy weather so I got into my car went to an all night grocery walked up and down the aisles I realized that I just needed a hobby. Yeah. Something to take my mind off of my depression. And I happened to be in front of the mustards, and I heard the voice that said, if you collect us, they will come.
1: Now, I'm going to guess there's a bit of hyperbole. Just
0: a bit, but it really did happen. I, I, I really was at an all-night grocery, and I was in front of the mustards, and I decided, I don't know why, but I'm going to collect mustards. So I remember I had about... I don't know, fifteen dollars in my pocket, so I bought as many mustards, different mustards, as I could. Right, and then I just started collecting.
1: And you know, maybe something to keep you off the street late at night, uh, late night walks, and so forth.
0: Yeah, well, that cured me. I figured, you know, <laughs> figured, uh, you know I, I look back and say, you know, what if I were in the the Brillo Pad aisle? Yeah, or the feminine hygiene products aisle. Oh dear. You know, look at what my museum would be. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah, thank goodness you had this uh this bolt of lightning hit you on the mustard aisle. Yeah,
0: it hit me in the condiment
2: aisle.
1: Yeah, that's that that's a lot better. Yeah, so, um you were unhappy about your ball team and I you know, people who follow sports teams have been uh, depressed, but I don't know that any of that kind of unhappiness led to a hobby like yours. So you bought fifteen dollars worth of mustard and and then what?
0: And then I just started collecting them. know, mm-hmm. so I would I didn't go, you know, crazy for a while. It's like every time I went to the grocery stores, then I'll buy one or two different mustards. Mm -hmm. You know, pretty soon the collection was 50, 60, 100, and it got kind of serious. Yeah. (laughs) It did, and I was having a lot of fun with it, even though, you know, my my day job was working at the Attorney General's office in Wisconsin. Mm -hmm. I, I think I really had more fun with the mustards. And you know, I was a mild mannered lawyer by day and a fiendish mustard collector by night.
1: Now let's uh let's back up a little bit. Uh we've established uh not just the year but the exact day oh, yeah. and, and, and time. It was a. M. Good too, night. I
0: remember looking at my watch.
1: And if I could ask you just back off your phone just a little bit, that would be a help to us. Mm-hmm. Um so you're working as a, as a lawyer, a right, pro- an Assistant a... Attorney General. Okay. And um, we're going to get to the part where this becomes a full-time job. But I can think of, I don't know, three kinds of mustard, and you're finding 50 of them just in your grocery store.
0: Yeah, now some of them may have been similar kinds, but I'm talking about, you know, similar companies, different companies. You might have yellow mustard from French's, from mm-hmm. Rober. Uh, from a whole bunch of different companies, and those are different mustards because they're all slightly different in, yeah. in their composition.
1: okay, let's talk though about just yellow mustard the kinds that we have on our on hot dogs. What's it made from?
0: Uh, it is made from the mustard seed, mm-hmm. vinegar and the agent that makes it bright yellow is turmeric
1: turmeric okay mm-hmm. uh, so it's uh, it's a couple of spices and in, in vinegar
0: and often there are other spices, but the key one that gives it that bright yellow color mm-hmm. is turmeric.
1: I would have guessed that that was a dye, but I'd have guessed wrong. yes
0: and no, because turmeric, which is a rhizome similar to ginger uh, when dried, is sometimes used as a dye in clothing in India. Okay. But it is totally edible.
1: Fair enough. Mm -hmm. So as you um, increased in the number of mustards that you bought, there must have been other places and other venues you, you went to to find other different kinds of mustard.
0: Oh, yeah. I mean, whenever I traveled, you know, because I I made lists, I always had a list with me. And, you know, it it may have been a couple of pages back then, uh, but it almost got me into trouble. How so? Well, I, I had that rare opportunity that few lawyers ever get, and that is to argue a case at the United States Supreme Court.
1: Oh, how cool is that?
0: Very cool. It was a great experience. I had a lot of fun. But I remember going there Uh, And leaving my room at the Hyatt, uh, walking down the hall, and seeing a discarded room service tray. Mm -hmm. And corner of my eye, I saw a little jar of mustard. You know, one of those one-and-a-half-ounce, you know, room service uh, Uh, sizes?
1: Absolutely. I know it very well.
0: Of course, you know, I honed in on it, picked it up, and saw I didn't recognize it. So I looked at my list, which I had with me. Yes. Sure enough, I didn't have it. Uh, and I was running a little late, so first of all, I have to decide, is this theft on my part Right. if I take it? Uh, so I, I go back and forth, and finally I decided that I would do what every good lawyer would do, and that is look to my left, look to my right, <laughs> see if anyone was watching, and take it. Yeah. And I did, and I put it in my left-hand's pocket, and I argued that case, Griffin versus Wisconsin, uh, with a jar of mustard in my pocket. I think I am the only lawyer to have done so at the U.S. Supreme Court. Well, at
1: least the only one to admit to it.
0: That's true. And I figured it was just poetic justice because if you know anything about Supreme Court history, you'll know that there was once a Justice Felix Frankfurter. Oh, yeah. And Chief Justice Warren Berger. Oh, goodness. So it was, a good, it was a good time. But that mustard is actually on display here at the Mustard Museum.
1: That is too. F- and what kind is it? Just out of uh, curiosity.
0: Dickinson stone ground mustard, It's St- kind of a medium, uh, you know, grainy mustard that you would find on a room service tray.
1: Okay. Now, the other kind of mustard, in, adis- in addition to yellow mustard, is um, uh, the like you just said, the stone ground. And I, for lack grainy of grainy mustard. Grainy. Yeah,
0: they're grained because uh, it's similar to wheat and white bread. Mm-hmm. Uh, the if you use more of the outside seed because mustard is a seed it has an inside and an outside. Right. You know, brand. Right. That's what yeah. is similar to wheat brand. Okay. And if you use uh, much of the outside, uh, you're going to get graininess.
1: Is that what gives us gray mustard, or or what they call the, the Poupon mustard? Gray
0: Poupon mustard. Well, first of all, gray Poupon, the classic gray Poupon, is Dijon mustard. Dijon, all right. Which is not grainy. The classic Dijon mustard is very smooth. All right. Uh, and that, in fact, gray Poupon originated in France. Right. I, I,
1: Poupon is a, it's like a state or a province.
0: No, Poupon is someone's name. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, there was Monsieur Gray. And Monsieur Poupon. Oh, my. That's why, and they joined forces, and it was called Gray Poupon.
1: We will add Mr. Poupon to the all-name team Yo, here I love at, it. You know, the collector and show. And family
0: still is, is still around today. You'll find uh, people named Poupon.
1: So, all right, now that's all the kinds of mustard that I know about. Tell us about some of the more uh, exotic kinds of oh mustard? Oh my
0: gosh, exotic mustard. There's a blueberry mustard. There's raspberry mustard. Uh, there's black truffle mustard. There's chocolate mustard. Now do you... There's root beer flavored mustard. Do you I put? Mean, we're talking just about every flavoring you can imagine.
1: And you put that on what? Toast?
0: Some of them you would put on toast. Some of them you can use as a dip for pretzels. Some you could have with ice cream. Some you might dip fruit into. No kidding. A lot of uses for mustard.
1: Now, Is it, uh, we talked about how it was made before, it it had uh, vinegar in it. Is this like, um, just take the berries, for example, berries and and vinegar? Uh,
0: Mustard seed and some kind of liquid. Mustard seeds dry really have no pungency. Okay. Uh, It's kind of an enzymatic uh, reaction when you add liquid to the crushed mustard seed. That's where you get the good mustard
1: heat. Okay, so you have mustard seeds and...
0: And water, or vinegar is typical. Okay. Some kind of vinegar. It could be grain vinegar, it could be cider vinegar, uh, wine vinegar. Um, that's usually what's going on. There may also be water, uh, but vinegar is usually in just about every
1: mustard. And for the ones that you just mentioned, the chocolate mustard or the the fruit mm-hmm. m- mustard, is, is there a big market for that? Yeah, that's what we
0: call the specialty market. You okay. Know, you'll see maybe in gourmet shops, although... Not as many in gourmet shops as we have. We sell over 450 different mustards.
1: At your museum?
0: At the museum and on our website, mustardmuseum.com.
1: And welcome to The Collector's Show. We're talking today with Barry Levinson, who's the curator of the Mustard Museum. And when we left off, Barry, we were talking about making the transition from representative of the Attorney General's office in Wisconsin to a full-time mustard guy. So uh,
0: yeah, that was in 1992. I just went off my medication. I guess <laughs> it was definitely a you know jumping off a cliff. Yeah. Uh, but you know the difference is uh, I love what I do. Yeah. Uh, you know I don't make a lot of money. I don't have paid health insurance, paid vacations, all that kind of stuff. Right. Uh, you know, it's all and, and I've pretty much left the world of reality. <laughs> well, uh, that's
1: not necessarily a, yeah leaving the world of reality isn't necessarily a bad thing. I don't yeah, think. I love, uh, And, you know, a lot of reasons why people are as invested in their hobbies um, as you are in yours is because, um, number one, it reminds them more often than not of something that went on in their childhood. And secondly, you know, it's just a good way to, you know, get your mind off your troubles. And you just chose to permanently get your mind off your troubles. Right. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, hey, you're not going to get an argument out of me. I, I think that's a a great way so you transitioned from law to mustard and right. what was the genesis of the museum
0: well it was because uh, oh, a couple of years before doing that I had my collection in my basement and had a fundraiser at my house for the for Supreme Court justice uh, it's elected in Wisconsin right and she happened to be downstairs because we had part of it and, and she just dubbed it the Mount Horrid Mustard Museum <laughs> you know, my collection I said, right. you know That's a great idea. Um, So that's what I just plotted and planned my escape because there is something about collecting that it's just—it's a huge high. Yes. You know, like you know, when you get a new a new mustard in the collection, it's just—it's fabulous. Oh, absolutely. You're you're just you know just in on air, just about. You know, it's it's now with over five thousand mustards, it is much more difficult. Um, to find new mustards, but you know it can happen.
1: Well, you've got. It sounds like most of them cornered, but you know we've talked to people on this show before who talk about. Well, it's the chase, and it's that the. It is. It's looking for something, that I didn't think I was going to find.
0: Right, and you know, unlike other collections, uh, we don't know how many mustards are out there. For example, if you collect baseball cards, right.
2: With the right research,
0: you can find out every baseball card that's been produced. Yes. In which case, you know how many you have. You know how many you don't have. If you have a, if you're a coin collector or a stamp collector, um, with a certain amount of work, you can find out how many there are. If you collect American coins, mm-hmm. you can determine how many were made. Yeah. And then you can say, "Gee, if I get six more, I'll have it complete." I will never know when this collection is
1: complete. Well. It it's uh but I'm gonna bet with five thousand is is it exactly or approximately five thousand? It's uh approximately five thousand and fifty two right wow. now is what I believe you're, it is. You're closing in on it. Now let's talk about the museum. Mm-hmm. It's uh located yeah. in Mount Orb, Wisconsin. Right. We are moving to Middleton, Wisconsin in the fall, but right now it's in Mount Horrob. Mm-hmm. And you have five a number miles from Madison okay so that's a pretty good landmark for people who want to find you and um, you've got a number of activities at the museum this summer and i noticed when i was uh... getting ready to talk with you uh... that national mustard day is august the first
0: yeah we, it's celebrated annually the first saturday in august and it's a great event here we close off the street there's live music mustard games you know mustard ring talks, uh <laughs> Uh, you know, mustard spinning wheel, it's a great family-friendly thing. Free hot dogs for everybody as long as you put mustard on them. Okay,
1: that's the and only requirement.
0: It's a real celebration of mustard.
1: What country do you think leads the world in mustard production? I'm going to bet it's Germany. Oh, no. No?
0: It really isn't. In ter- well, the thing is you have to look at it in a couple of ways. Uh, one is, is per capita or total. Mm-hmm. Probably total in terms of tonnage would be the United States. Okay. Um, in terms of per capita, it would probably be France. Ah. Because Dijon mustard from the city of Dijon.
1: Well, that's a that's an excellent point. I was thinking about um, per capita sausage consumption.
0: Right. You know, and yeah, they will use mustard, but I think you know there's such a tradition in France of Dijon mustard with so many things.
1: Let's talk about the companies that make mustard, because on your website you've got a picture of the Oscar Mayer Hot Dog Mobile. Are they enthusiastic about uh, your museum
0: and your collection? Uh, of course, they are, because you know hot dogs and mustard just go so well together. Mm-hmm. You know, they're not a mustard company. no. Actually, they are, because Oscar Mayer is owned by Kraft Foods, mm-hmm. which also owns Grey Poupon
1: right uh, now. Mm-hmm. Okay, so uh, now... What about French's? I mean, they're obviously the. Oh, they're very
0: big in terms of yellow mustard. They are probably the leading company, and uh, that is part of a company called Wreckit and Benkeiser.
1: Okay, never heard of
0: them.
2: <laughs> yeah, you know they
0: make things like Easy Off oven cleaner. Cattleman's okay. Kettleman's uh, barbecue sauce. Uh, they make a hot sauce. So, uh, you know, there are a lot of mustard makers out there. There are a lot of there are a few big ones. Oh, Plockman's for example. Oh, sure. Bigma. Mo- a uh, big one, Beaverton Foods, makes a lot of specialty mustards. But then you've got a lot of little cottage industry mustard makers.
1: And I bet that they uh, probably contribute most of the different brands of mustard? Or the
0: or uh, A lot of them, and also the more unusual mustards, because they don't have to be mainstream to sell in grocery
1: stores. Now, okay, now talking about types of, of mustard, has there ever been a type of mustard where you just looked at it and said, no way, no way this is mustard?
0: No. Well, actually, there have been a few products that say mustard on them, but if there's no mustard seed in it, uh, sorry, it's not mustard.
1: Okay. Have there ever been any that you just couldn't eat yourself?
0: No. No. I don't no. think so. There's some we choose not to sell. We don't think they're as good perhaps as others, but you know, we have to put limits on how many we sell. Yeah, I'm I'm
1: talking about though you personally got a whiff of something and said, No, nah, that's not going on my hot dog today. Oh yeah, there are several life tastings and you know not so, <laughs> not so good. Not so good.
0: Not so good. So, you know, they they, they kinda missed the
1: boat on this one. So. Now in the gallery of the museum mm-hmm. it says that there are five thousand jars, bottles, and tubes oh, of yeah. mustards. Mm-hmm. Does the uh, collection inside your gallery, is it a rotating show or is it a permanent display? It's
0: uh, basically a permanent uh, display of the mustards, but we do have other exhibits. We have an exhibit on mustard and medicine. We have an exhibit on antique mustard tins. Mm-hmm. And we have uh, we have other things. We have actually a Grey Poupon exhibit. Uh, we have some mustard artwork uh, on the walls. So there's, there's so many different things that... Uh, really entail what a museum does, and I think we do a a good job. We have a little theater where we show uh, videos about mustard. It's called Mustard Peace Theater. (laughs) Sorry, but we do call it that. And, of course, we are the home of the Mustard College, which is Poop On You. Oh, gosh. Oh, yeah, we have all kinds of stuff, Poop On You merchandise that people love.
1: Oh, that's funny.
0: We're a museum, and we are a real museum. It's a serious museum that doesn't take itself too seriously.
1: Well, I mean, and that sounds like the ideal museum. Mm -hmm. Now, in your uh, website, it also talks about the fact that you and Mrs. Mustard have uh, been shopping in France. What did you find on your trip?
0: Well, we were in Dijon, France last year, and we visited several mustard companies and found new mustards, found mustard recipes as they're used, in, as mustard is used in France, and brought back with us uh, over fifty-five mustards in our suitcases. Oh wow! That we didn't have. can imagine going through customs like that. Well, I can,
1: and answering a lot of questions and them opening jars. Yeah.
0: yeah, could you just hold a minute again? Sure.
1: So different flavors of mustard from France in your uh, in your suitcase. Now we talked a moment ago about. National Mustard Day, which is August the first, at the museum. What other kinds of activities do you guys have planned for the summer?
0: Oh, that's our main activity. I mean, we'll have a celebration of Bastille Day with mm-hmm. French mustards being featured, uh, and we always actually have mustard ring toss going on. Okay. So describe that for me. Oh, it's uh, where you uh, take your rings and you try and get them around a jar of mustard, and if you ring it, you win it. Oh, cool. So a lot of
1: fun. That does sound like fun. A lot of tours that come here. I would imagine that um, a lot of tours would stop there. And for people listening who are planning their uh, summer vacations, Barry, how can we find you guys?
0: Um, well, look at a map, for one thing, and if you'll find Madison at the mm-hmm. south-central part of the state, and just to the lower left, you'll see a yellow stain. That is Mount Horeb. <laughs> or just go on our website, mustardmuseum.com.
1: mustardmuseum.com, and Barry Levinson, who's the... Curator and CMO, Chief Mustard Officer, Chief, Chief Mustard Officer of the, uh, of the Mustard Museum. And Thank you. <laughs> you have to wear a lot of hats at, uh, many hats at the museum.
0: Yes, I do. My head gets tired.
1: Lots going on at the Mustard Museum. And uh, if you're in Wisconsin, be sure and check them out this coming summer. And Barry, thanks for being on the Collector Show. So, nice talking to you. Hang on. It's time for the found collectible of the week with our friend Heather Gallegos. And Heather, welcome to the show. Hi, Harold. Thank you. Now, next week, if things go the way I hope they will, we'll have some representatives from the Charles M. Schultz Museum. And you have an excellent tie-in to that, which we hope people will tune back in for. Tell us about that. This week we're going to talk
3: about all things Snoopy, Charlie Brown's favorite beagle, his pet. Yeah, Mm -hmm. so I thought we'd talk about
1: that today. Yeah, I think Snoopy is, um, without a doubt, the most famous dog (laughs) anywhere.
3: I think he is. However, we all know if we were to ask Snoopy, he would say, you know, I ain't no thinking dog. Yeah, he's,
1: he never thought of himself as a dog, That's but he had right. quite an imagination. Absolutely. And some of the characters he imagined himself as are licensed just the way his image was, right?
3: That is correct. Absolutely, yeah. Charles Schultz, over the years, has licensed his image for, you know, so much of merchandise that we see and we can buy in the stores. Mm-hmm. But he also did a few other things that haven't been done before. Uh, Charles Schultz gave Loyola College Prep School in Shreveport, Louisiana mm-hmm. the right to use, you know, that flying ace that... Oh, the sure. Trade. They used uh, that as their school mascot. They're called the Flyers.
2: Yes. And it's the only school in the U.S. with this type of
1: mascot. Isn't that kind of cool? That I is kind of neat to have um, the flying ace as your school mascot. Absolutely. Because, you know, normally it's an animal or something, but this is a cartoon character. That's awesome. That's very cool. Other things that uh, Snoopy imagined himself as was a baseball player. That's right. An author. An author. That's right. And uh, it seemed like all of his writing went on with his typewriter on top of his doghouse. Mm -hmm. And it started with, it was a dark dark and stormy stormy night. night. That's right. Yeah. I believe also Snoopy walked on the moon and was an accomplished Mm -hmm. ice skater.
3: He was. Yes. He was also, did you say a baseball player? Yeah. Baseball. Yeah. That was very famous. Um, an attorney, right? A golfer. That's right. He's been everything.
1: He's been everything. Now, all of those uh, different characters, different things that he imagined himself as, evolved into collectibles. Absolutely. And my guess is that there, even though the strip um, hasn't been done and going on ten years, that those still are very popular, right?
3: Oh, there's so much out there with merchandise. It it ranges from everything from apparel, you know, hats um, even sweatpants, everything mm-hmm. to ornaments and stuffed animals, figurines. Um, you can collect the cartoon strips, there's books, and even some fast food restaurants over you know, the years they've given away the little action figures of mm-hmm. Snoopy and, and the whole peanuts crew in their um like their children's meals.
1: I've seen books
3: mm-hmm.
1: about the different kinds of uh, collectibles from that strip. Did you find any of that uh there are several books out there and
3: some that are, you know, your listeners may want to look into, especially if they're trying to find identification and value guides. Okay. There is a Peanuts Collectibles Identification and Value Guide. That one pretty much sums it up, that yeah. one. That's by uh, Andrea Podley, P-O-D-L-E-Y. Right. And Derek Bang, B-A-N-G. Mm-hmm. And that retails for around $15. Oh, boy. There's also the Peanuts Home Collection, and that's an illustrated book. By Freddie Margolin. Yeah. M A R G O L I N. Mm -hmm. That's around 25. And there's also a couple unauthorized guides as well. There's the Unauthorized Guide to Snoopy Collectibles, and then more Snoopy Collectibles, an unauthorized guide with values. Mm -hmm. Those are both by Jan Lindenberger. Yeah. L I N D I N B E R G E R. Mm. That's a long one, so I just want to make sure everybody got that. And they're both, they both retail for around $30. So, and there's others out there. But these, these four really stuck out to me as the ones that, you know, would have the pictures or the, the value. Really, if you're looking to start a collection or if you want to even just appraise what your collection could be worth. Right. So now would be a good place to
1: start. And those guides are, sound pretty reasonably priced. Absolutely. Now, in addition to Snoopy himself, mm-hmm. he had a pretty big family have a family. Tell us about Snoopy's family.
3: Well, Snoopy's mother was Missy. Okay. Well, he really always missed, so kind of an appropriate name. He had several siblings as well.
2: He had a few brothers. Right. Spike, I think, is kind
3: of the most famous. Yep. Kind of like the bad dog. <laughs> <laughs> well,
1: Spike lived in the desert. That's
3: right. We, we got to see him, though. And I think even in some of the um, animated specials on TV, Spike made a few appearances. S- Spike would show up. Yeah. There's also, also Andy, mm-hmm. Olaf. Marbles, and Rover. Now, I must be honest, I don't remember the others. I think Olaf I
1: remember. Well, Olaf was kind of a, a chubby dog. Yeah. Marbles had that name because of the way his spots...
3: Right, were formed, right? Uh,
1: right. Mm-hmm. And, um, but the other ones I really don't remember. Well,
3: yeah, I don't remember Andy and Rover. No,
1: I don't remember them at but all. But he
3: also had two sisters, Belle. And Molly.
1: Now, Belle I remember, but Molly I don't remember.
3: Belle was very feminine. Right. Yeah, but I don't remember Molly either. Yeah. And then, of course, his owner, Charlie Brown. Right. But, you know, he had an owner before Charlie, and her name was Lila. But Lila's family moved to an apartment that wouldn't allow pets. Oh. So they had to give her back to the puppy farm that Snoopy had come from. Right. Yeah, but Lila made a few appearances in some of the different animated specials. Uh,
1: now that I do remember, um, where he goes looking for her. right, and he has to make a decision if he wants to go and live with Lila or return back to Charlie Brown, who he always uh, referred to as that round-headed kid, <laughs> 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 which was
2: so apropos. <laughs> so and you know, Charlie or excuse me, Snoopy's actual
3: birthday is celebrated on October the
2: 2nd. Oh, no which, kidding. Yeah, but that happens because he first made his first appearance in the Strip on October 4th. Okay. <laughs> so they gave him two days,
1: and then that was his first day. Well, that's too funny. That kind of cute. Now, your other investigations on uh, places where people can buy Snoopy collectibles, talk to us about well, there's
3: that. there's a lot of places where you can buy, but there are two, two sites online that your listeners may want to check out. Mm-hmm. One is... JoeCollector.com. Okay, and they have all sorts of different merchandise, and they even have a clearance section, which, when I hear clearance, my ears perk up, because, you know, you always get good deals that way. Right. And then also SnoopyGift.com. Mm-hmm. So those are a couple websites that you may just want to check out if you're looking to start a collection, or if you just want to add to what your existing
1: collection. Yeah, we have tons of Snoopy stuff here at our house. Oh, I'm sure, the, yeah. The room here. That we're in, and we'll get more into this when we talk with uh, the folks at the museum, but uh-huh. this is the Snoopy room. Oh, my. Yeah, we have uh, wall-to-wall Snoopy in here. Oh, my. You know, just right here in my
3: office where I'm doing this call from, I have a little Snoopy birthday stuffed animal.
1: How could you not like Snoopy?
3: How could you not? And then I think the, the site that we always talk about for adding to our collection is mm-hmm. eBay. Oh, yeah. Uh, I did a quick search before our call. Over almost 3,000 items Man. just on Snoopy. And collectibles. So I didn't search the general site, and this is specific to collectibles. Three thousand. That's right.
1: Were there anything, anything's on that list that you saw, Heather, that uh, were expensive or unusual? <laughs> well, I think we've beaten a record Harold, because the most expensive
3: thing on the on the listing was a hundred thousand dollars. Wow. It's a series of three statues that were commissioned after Charles Schultz had died, mm-hmm. and they were up in Santa Rosa, California, his hometown. Right. The different businesses commissioned different um, artists to create these. Mm-hmm. And so this is Snoopy, Charlie Brown, and Woodstock. They're all um, in different images of like um, like road construction or outdoor work, mm-hmm. and each one is four feet tall, and you get all three, but it's 100,000. And there are two bids on it, but I, I couldn't see what the two bids were, so i wow. said, Yeah. Other than that, it drops dramatically after that. <laughs>
1: but still, a hundred thousand dollars—that's—and yeah. people bidding on it.
3: Exactly. That's a lot of money. And there's about twenty more hours, I think, for that auction. So.
1: So by wow. the time this uh, our show goes up, it'll have been over. I believe so. Yeah. Dang. Yeah. Well, as usual, Heather, you have opened our eyes <laughs> to not just collecting peanuts but to collecting uh, Snoopy which um, you know I've certainly spent a lot of time and money on and we'll get into that more next week when we talk to the folks at the uh, at the Schultz Museum which not coincidentally is also in Santa Rosa California so Heather thank you as usual for your contribution to the it's collectors welcome. show thank Always a pleasure me, thanks. and thanks to everybody for listening and like I say we are planning to have representatives from the Charles M. Schultz Museum on the program next week. Tell your friends, and thank you for listening.